much love. You can dance, you can jive, having the time of your life. See that girl? Watch that scene. Digging the Dancing Queen, it's episode 15 for real this time. <laughs> Season 5 of Ravage Love. Hi, Julie. Hello, Renee. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. What's our theme for this week? Be gay. Do crime. Be gay. Do crimes. Every uh, episode that we're going to drop in the month of June is going to be related to some sort of pride theme. So homophobes beware um we're gonna be lock up your daughters <laughs> lock up your yum, daughter yum, yum. <laughs> we're gonna be hella gay uh and this week we're gonna be do just gay and doing some crimes but uh have you been doing some crimes renee is that why you're a sleepy bear today what's going on no no you know what um i couldn't find a book for this week so i wrote one I've been doing that all day and it has made me very sleepy. So are you for real? <laughs> yeah, I wrote I wrote a book today. <laughs> Renee! Oh my god. Okay, listeners, this is not a put-on. I had no fucking idea. We never talk about the books before the episode starts. Um, do I even need to talk about my book, or are you just gonna blow us all away with your brilliance? <laughs> no, I want to hear about your book, but I did I, I literally sat down today with my hashtag lesbian activity uh <laughs> janice Irwin mug and wrote this all day and then it was six and i was like oh shit and it's not finished so i mean it's almost finished i i know i know it's you know how it ends <laughs> i sure do buddy sure do uh but i want to hear what you read because i love hearing what you read you sweet sweet angel well i'm very excited and i'm so stoked because the book i read was great Oh, yeah. It was so great. It was so, so, so great. And in fact, many of our listeners might even be aware of it because it was uh, a bestseller. And I bought this book, I feel like months ago, maybe even last year, and was just holding on to it for the right moment. Um, so I read The Queer Principles of Kit Webb by Kat Sebastian. And Kat Sebastian is pretty prolific. Um, she describes herself as living in the swampy part of the South of the U S with her family and pets. Uh, before her kids were born, she practiced law and taught high school and college writing. When she isn't reading or writing, she's doing crossword puzzles, bird watching and wondering where she put her coffee cup. She also <laughs> like that struggle is very real. Um, relatable. She's also written a lot of all the things I love historical fiction. That's hella gay. And so this book came out in 2021 and I am happy to report that there is kind of a sequel of sorts. So one of the couples in the book, there's a whole other book coming this year about them, which is super cool. Um, this book was almost 400 pages, so it was long, um, but it was so good. It was phenomenal. The writing was incredible. It's Definitely one of the best books I've read for the podcast, for sure. I will absolutely read more Cat Sebastian, um, either the sequel kind of addition to this one or some of her other stuff. 
So there's a lot that happens in this book. So I'm going to give you a very quick overview uh, because I'm going to miss tons of different subplots and different stories and things. But um, I really recommend getting this book. If like me, you love historical fiction and you love gay shit, then you will love the queer principles of Kit Webb. Fun fact, this appears to be her first and only book that has a cartoon cover. The rest oh. have kind of a typical, um, you know, historical romance, like ripped bodice kind of a vibe to it. But this one is like a very cute cartoon cover. Um, and we're starting off in like the 1700s in London. And Kit Webb was a highwayman, which for those who don't know, is basically like a thief, but like like a, the pirate of the roads, if you will. A carjacker. What? Stand and Deliver by Adam and the Ants was about. Continue. <laughs> there we go. Who <laughs> was a folk hero. Like, people did not know his real name, but there's literally stories in the town. There's, like, songs that people sing at pubs about this folk hero who was kind of like a Robin Hood type, who was robbing um, rich barons and shit, and then, like, was a folk hero. But he gets injured, and a bunch of other things happened, and he basically decides to retire to run a coffee shop. Meanwhile, Percy, and I'm going to say this in quotes, and his stepmother, so he grew up with Marianne as like his childhood friend, and then his own mother passes away, his dad needs a new wife, scoops her up, and then you find out, and there's this long, but he's fucking this woman over. So together, they um, are being blackmailed by somebody who's like, I know the truth about your family pay me or I'm going to leak the information. And Percy doesn't even really know what this quote information is about, but knows, oh my God, we're being blackmailed. We need to get this information from my dad. And I bet you the information this person is trying to blackmail us is in this notebook that my mother always carried that my dad has, and he has it on him 24 seven. So we need to get that notebook to figure out what this information is or we need to steal money from dad to pay the blackmailer. We got to do something. And they're like, but we're fucking aristocratic people. We don't know what the fuck we're doing. Let's go and find someone that we can pay to rob dad. And so they hear about this folk hero and he figures out, or his sister, his step stepmother, Jesus is like, I think this kit web coffee shop guy, I think he's actually a highwayman. So he sends Percy's out basically stalking Kit, but not in a creepy way to just figure out like, is he actually a highwayman or is he really just like a dude with a limp who runs a coffee shop, but he's just attracted to him and he can't figure out why. And there's some sort of like connection and energy between the two of them. So he then is like, I don't think this guy is this guy, but fuck it. I'm just going to straight up ask him. And he then approaches him. And says, hey, hard through the grapevine, you might know how to rob some people. Do you want this job? And Kit's like, I'm out of the game. Don't know what you're talking about. That's not who I am. And Percy clocks that Kit is also a little light in his loafers, if you will. Percy, <laughs> Percy is very out with his sexuality. And in fact, his father caught him at a brothel of men. And so he's like, yeah, I'm gay and everyone knows I'm gay, but I'm also like a fucking like Duke basically. So what are you going to do about it? Kit, on the other hand, is sort of taken aback because he's like, I'm not gay. 
maybe I'm gay. I do find you very attractive. And so Kit's like, no, I'm not interested. Find somebody else. But he's very intrigued by this Percy person. And he's sort of taken aback by like, this guy thinks I'm gay. Whoa. What is that? What does he see in me that I don't even see? Um, so Percy just keeps coming back. He shows up every single day to sit at the coffee shop and is just trying to get him to do the job. And then Kit finds out who the dad is. And his dad was Kit's landlord at one point when he was married with a beautiful child. And they had an evil, evil landlord that kept them in poverty, kept them indebted. And so his wife was also a thief and she poached some animals. The landlord found out about it and sent her away and she died on her way to prison. And then his tiny little baby daughter also ended up dying. And then the Duke went and just fucking plowed through the entire village because he was like, I hate how it looks from the top of the mountain. So let's just plow it down and make a field instead. So oh, when, I hate him. I mean, this entire book is about how landlords are garbage. And I'm like, I already love this book. So uh-huh. Kit's like, oh, I'm sorry. You want me to rob the man who ruined my life? I'm very much in. But frankly, with this fucking bum leg of mine, I can't ride a horse. I can't run away. So what if I train you on how to be an effective highwayman? And then Ooh. in my mind, I'm picturing a Rocky type montage. <laughs> Stand and deliver is playing. Right? 100%. Right. He's training him up. But truly, the dynamic is similar to Jamie Lannister and what's his name from Game of Thrones, where like Jamie only has one hand. And so, like, the guy's teaching him how to be a sword fighter with his other, with his left hand. Do you remember that whole dynamic? Yeah, yeah. So they're basically doing that, but it's extremely homoerotic, right? He keeps, and they end up, they're fighting. So they're wrestling on the floor and Percy keeps making advances on Kit and Kit's like, Oh my God, what is happening? But also what are these feelings in my crotch? (laughs) (laughs) So he um, continues to train him up and um, is like trying to figure out how he's going to help him rob this highwayman. Obviously in this time they start to um, there's building chemistry between them there's all this other stuff that happens where he's like, I want to know how he knew that I was a highwayman. So then he taps into his network of sex workers who I love the way they're portrayed because they're portrayed as like very savvy women in a time when women had little power. And so these women were playing up femininity and acting, Oh, I'm just a little girl so that men would pay them, but then actually had a side hustle where they would then tell highwaymen who had a lot of money and where they were going. And then they would rob these highwaymen and then give a kickback to these sex workers. Oh my God. Like Cardi B. Exactly. Exactly. It was the Cardi B of its time. So there's that whole dynamic of him, like working with the sex workers to figure out how the fuck people figured out he was a highwayman. I love that whole dynamic. Um, And then he basically, um, they're like, okay, we're going to do it. We're going to rob your old man. They do. Um, and, oh, prior to that, oof, there is very spicy fucking. Um, and as you know, and as listeners of the show know, oftentimes when someone's a virgin in the book, you're like eye rolling into fucking infinity. 
This was a really beautiful moment, and it was still very hot, where Percy is, like, extremely experienced in having sex with men, and Kit is not. Kit has never fucked a man in his life, never been fucked by a man in his life. And Percy's like, oh, so you weren't just, like, married and had a kid as a front. And he's like, no, 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 like, I also like women. And then he's like, you don't? And Percy's like, oh, no, never in my life have I ever, ever wanted to touch a woman. Like, I am gay. I am gay. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's very cool because Kit's like a grown man who's having sex with another man for the first time. And Percy knows what he's doing. So he's like being very sweet about it, but also like kind of mean because that's what he wanted. Anyways, it's very, very hot. And so then they're like, oh, fuck, I like you now. God damn it. And so they go and um, do this robbery. And it doesn't go well because um the duke ends up getting shot but not by them and then percy gets shot and now kit is like this fucking man stole my wife from me stole my child from me stole my childhood home stole my village and then he shot his son dead ass in front of me oh no i'm out for blood motherfucker well turns out the duke died from his fucking injuries thank god thank christ so now Percy is going to be the Duke. And then there's this beautiful moment, Renee, like genuinely so beautiful and powerful where Kit is like, I can't be with you if you're a Duke. And if it was any other romance, it would have been like, like surface level and shallow. And then, but it's actually the moment when Kit explains to Percy, this is why I hate your dad because like power corrupts you. And there's no such thing as a good landlord in the world that we live in. And so, like, if you take on this job, you're only going to have power by oppressing other people. And I don't want to be with someone who's okay with that. And I was like, uh, love that. Love that so fucking much. Because that just feels like an actually authentic way to be. You know what I mean? Like, it just feels like. Instead of just being like, oh my God, you're going to have power and you're going to forget about me, this tiny little peasant. He just was like, no, being a landlord is garbage in this day and age. And there's no such thing as like an ethical landlord. Like you own people's homes. And so they kind of get this really lovely um, like compromise where Percy is like, okay, I'm going to be the Duke until this particular time when I'm then going to come forward about the fact of what all the secrets were in the book, which is that I'm not actually the heir to the throne. Someone else can get it. But before that happens, before I spill the tea on who's actually the heir, because it's not me, because my mother was illegitimate and da 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 I'm going to make laws and I'm going to make rules that the next person can't undo yes so i'm gonna fucking go in there basically go into government pass some laws that's gonna make it so the, so he builds a school on the property he builds like a quote-unquote poor house for people who can't afford he builds like a fucking homeless shelter all of these schools improves the conditions of the houses does all this shit and then like codifies it into law so that the next duke can't do shit except oversee people and collect rent and then he's like, and I don't want to live in this big old castle. I have lots of bad memories there. How about I buy the house that went for sale right beside your coffee shop? Would that be weird if I saw you every day? And Kit was like, I couldn't live if you didn't see you every day. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. It was so fucking beautiful. 
the writing was so good. It was like all the things that that you and our listeners know that I love, right? Gay. <laughs> some like historical, which I love. Some social yeah. commentary, which I love. Banter. You know I love flirty banter. It's my fucking favorite. And I, mm-hmm. I love that dynamic of like one person's really confident and the other person is like, I hate you. Like kind of bratty, but really like, I like you, but I don't. And I like, that was it. Percy was like the pursuer and like really smarmy, but also like had this cheeky banter, which was super hot. The fucking was very consensual, very hot. And they used a lot of oil, um, which was actually what they did use as lube back in the day. Um, and so the accoutrement that I'm going to put with this particular book is oil because it was constantly like, oh yeah, there's oil in the cupboard. And then at one point they're having like this like quickie and then he's like, oh yeah, I just grabbed the oil from my pocket. And he was like, you brought oil with you? And he's like, basically the equivalent of like, always be ready. (laughs) I'm DTF all the time. And I was like, love this for both of you. Um, and five out of five on the spice, like it's just like what a little decanter exactly that's what it was like he's like i can make a salad i can fuck your asshole whatever exactly i was like is it just mixing up some fucking greens is this the origin of tossing salad is that where that term comes from anyways it was delightful and it was spicy and it wasn't just like tender loving care like it, there was tenderness to the point where like in one of the times they're fucking he's like i wanted you to just desecrate me in my childhood bedroom because i want i never want to come back to this castle and i wanted Woof. you to just ruin it for me and and kit's like i nothing we do will ever be like nothing we do will ever be sacrosanct like it was just like this beautiful like it'll always be it can never be sullied what we do will always oh. can never be sullied even if and he's like literally fucking this dude in the ass as he's like biting his neck and he's like still still because i care about you it'll always be this way and then he's like you're so right and you're like yes tender loving care um yeah and that it was a pie character like i did like i mean i would have been totally fine if they were both gay men but i did kind of like that the guy was like no it wasn't a sham like i was in love with my wife and i loved my wife and i've had sex with women and i quite enjoy it but um, but he actually is like a romantic, basically. Is a romantic the one where you have to have romantic feelings in order to fuck? I don't fucking know. I think so. That, that I don't was... need to care about who I fuck. So okay. <laughs> so he had <laughs> he had uh, the old Julie Lone, I guess, where <laughs> he was like, "It's not that I haven't been sleeping with people because I'm closeted, or I haven't been sleeping with people because I'm just like grieving my dead wife." He's like, "I just." I haven't been sleeping with people because I can't just go to a brothel. Like I need to have a connection with the person in order to feel that way. And Percy's like, not me. I'm a whore. And then has sex with beautiful Kit. Who's like, or actually I do love love. And you're like, see, yeah, big fan. So, um, the queer principles of Kit Webb by Kat Sebastian cannot uh, recommend it enough to our listeners. Big fan. Now, 10 out of 10 for that uh, 
that breakdown. I love it. Oh, love it. Thank you. Thank you. And I left out so much. So like, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, that sounds great. Pick it up because there's all these other subplots and subtexts and all kinds of different things going on that I didn't even get into um, that are so interesting. And it's just a great read. Like it was a very enjoyable read. Um, pacing was great. Writing was strong. Uh, but none of that matters knowing <laughs> That Renee <laughs> wrote a book with the only prompt being "be gay, do crime." <laughs> yeah. What did um, you fucking write, buddy? <laughs> so okay, listen. I, I'm sorry. I want to just go back to your book for a, qu- a quick second because um, it just I'm reading a book from one of my favorite authors. Their name is uh, T. Kingfisher. It's like their pseudonym mm-hmm. um and in it uh they it's always the same kind of like dynamic and i love that it's very predictable and i love that but there's um the main character is like a criminal because she um has to like she like forges documents really well but anyway she's going on this mission with these other people but she found out that like this group of sex workers called the stone bitches were gonna <laughs> get raided so she sent them a letter being like, heads up, you're going to get raided. So they sent her like a present of like whiskey or something. But in it, they put a little statue of a dog. And I thought that was really cool. That's, that. that's all of it. Yeah. Just I was like, that's a great calling card, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Also a great name for your sex troupe. Big fan of that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, big fan. Anyway, that's just what it reminded me of. So um, I also wrote this story with a pseudonym. I don't know why, just for fun. Um, so my book is called Hamburgle my butthole. <laughs> and it's by Rosemary Chandelier. That's my name. <laughs> Rosemary Chandelier. <laughs> Rosemary Chandelier. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Okay, say that title again one more time. Just It's a worky title. Give us this title. gift. It's called Hamburgle my butthole. Um, because Is it about the who's more prolific than the hamburger um, at crime at being gay and doing crime now here's the thing is that I couldn't I could find a lot of jokes about the hamburger I could not find any fanfic or romance um, I found a lot of great articles one was how your sex dreams about or what your sex dreams about the hamburger really mean um, this one is uh, who you'd fuck at McDonald land based on your sign <laughs> Um, if you're curious, Julie, yours is Grimace and mine, <laughs> mine is Mayor McCheese. Um, is Grimace the purple one? He sure is, buddy. Ooh, um, okay. And then there's another article here that says Macaulay Culkin demands we rethink mandatory sentencing for hamburglers. And I just love that this is the culture on the internet. <laughs> oh, my cat's knocking shit over. Anyway, um, so I decided so I couldn't find anything. I, I guess I decided today because I knew we were going to record today that I was going to write something. Um, I thought it was just going to be quick and dirty. Um, and it turned into, I don't even, it doesn't even give me like a number count on here. Um, there's, there's a lot. I wrote a lot. I wrote all day. Um, now I know why last night when I was unwell and I, uh, for our listeners, we were supposed to record last night. Dates don't matter to you folks when you're listening, but I was like, leveled by a terrible migraine and so i was like if i can't kick this thing can we record it tomorrow and you're like tomorrow's actually better for me and now i know it's because you were crushing this fucking book oh my god i'm so excited yeah so i'm at over eight thousand words now um so 
here, here's the thing is that, um, my dog's growling at the cat. I don't know what's up anyway. So, okay. Where do I even start? Okay. So do you remember Popeye and olive oil? Absolutely. Okay. Remember the character Wimpy? No, refresh me. He, Wimpy was an incredibly intelligent fat man who's best friends with Popeye who loved hamburgers. Just fucking loved hamburgers. Okay. Okay. So his na- his full name is Jones Wellington, a.k.a. Wimpy. So one of my characters, his name is Jones Wellington. All right. My second character is Frankie Delfino, who was the voice of the Hamburglar in real life. Okay. So that's what, that's what you need to know. There's Jones and there's Frankie. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. So my book opens and Jones, it's 2008. Jones has woken up in a cold sweat because he's had another nightmare. He's been having the same nightmare for 20 years, ever since he lost his partner, Frankie. So we go back to 1975 In 1975 Jones, um, is 18 years old. He's highly gifted. Um, he's graduated high school early, the age of 16. He's decided now that he's going to go to the police academy. He has this pick of Ivy League colleges, um, but he wants to make like real change in the world. And he grew up in like extreme poverty. Like they only ever ate what they could grow. Like meat was a luxury, things like that. Um, and his his mom and his pa are like, Jones, like you should go to the world and like make something of yourself. And he's like, I am. This is a way for me to like really make change. And they're like, but really a police officer in the 1970s for a sensitive boy like you, meaning like they know he's gay, mm. they know he's gay. Right. And uh, he's like, look, he's like the world needs change and they need people like me um, to, you know, make that change and, you know, be able to like make the change so that people can be free to love whoever they want without fear because this is America. So I wrote here that um, he picks up his brindle and he kisses his mom and pa goodbye and he heads to the best police academy in the country. Okay. So Jones is a big dude. Okay. He's like a big, solid guy. I described him as rotund, uh, but he's powerful and he's really strong. Um, he's got a lot of endurance um, so he excels not only in the academic pieces of the police academy, but also in the physical pieces. And so he doesn't make a lot of friends because not, he's like a Ferdinand, right? He's like really sensitive and kind, but he's also like crushing it in all the work. So in the work that he's doing and learning, he gets top marks and he sets his sights on detective work. And in his academics, he learns that really it's like, crime networks and gangs that have their hands in nearly everything in the country in the seventies. Right. So he, he sees gangs as being the reason that people are suffering and he wants to tackle those organizations. So no surprise, he graduates with honors. Right. And he's getting like job offers left and right, left and right. But he decides he is going to take the job offer in San Francisco. Um, because he knows that that's like the hub for other sensitive boys like himself, right? Mm-hmm. He's the saving. So he wants to be there. He wants to build a community because he's never really had one. So he, he's been offered a post as a junior detective in the gang unit at, in San Francisco in the PD there. So he decides, he's like, I'm going to go. This is where I want to be. So part of the tradition for the graduates um, at this police academy is that alumni from previous years throw a barbecue for them. 
And he goes because he's like, yeah, I graduated. This is really great. So he goes and he like nobody's really talking to him. He doesn't have any friends, Um, but he decides he's like, I'm going to go eat something. So he approaches the grill and there is this like really gorgeous redhead there. And he's like, hey, what do you what's going on? And then the guy's like, do you want a hamburger? And he's like, what's a hamburger? And he's like, what do you mean? You've never had a hamburger before? He's like, no, I'm afraid not. Um, And he's like, oh, well, okay, today is your lucky day because um, this is a Delfino family recipe burger. This is a famous burger. And it's not any burger. It's going to be the best you've ever had in your life. Well, he's never never had a burger. So, of course, it'll be the best he's ever had in his life. So he... This redhead gives him a burger. He like gets it all dressed up with like ketchup and all that stuff. Right. And he's like, this sandwich is an American institution. He's like, buckle up. This is going to change your life. So Jones takes a bite and it blows his fucking mind. (laughs) And he starts to weep. He just starts to cry. He's like, Oh my God. Oh my, this is so amazing. He's never had a hamburger before because meat was a luxury growing up. Right. Um, so, I mean, sometimes they had meat, but like not often. And it's not that he doesn't eat meat. It's just that they could never afford it. And everything else, the police academy is kind of like gruel, whatever. So this is blowing his mind. He's sobbing and he's just like, oh my God. Okay. And then this guy called Lucas Ferrelli. Lucas Ferrelli is like the class bully or whatever. And he spots, uh, Jones crying and he's like, I'm going to make a scene. <laughs> so he, Decides to go in for the kill and he's like, hey, Jonesy, what are you blubbering about? I thought you were used to having meat in your mouth. <laughs> and then uh, Jones is like, oh, my God, what? And he starts to get like really embarrassed. So then Lucas marches over and he's like, what's the matter, bag? Too much for even you. Meh, meh, meh. And then he's just like thinking to himself, he's like, how did he know? How did he know I was a gay man? And then Lucas just kind of keeps picking on him. And then the redhead like gets in between him and he's like it's like that's enough for Relly and he's like oh my god inspector delfino and then you're like what he's an inspector well julie he's the lead inspector of the gangs unit in san francisco oh, oh. He steps in and he's like you know what i'm knocking you down a peg for you are going back to police academy and some sensitivity training because this is unacceptable it's disgraceful blah, blah, blah. and he's like okay and so anyway by this point jones has run away in, in tears. He's run away. He's just like, oh my God, I can't believe this happened. Okay. So he's back at his parents' house and he's been in his room for days. Nothing they do can, can get him out of bed. Until one day, there's a knock at the door and his mom's like, hey, you have a visitor. And he's like, I don't want to, I don't want a visitor. And he's like, they're like, you have to see this guy. And who walks in? But um, my boy, the redhead from the, um, from the barbecue. And he's like, hey, um, you know, I'm uh, really sorry about what happened. And he's like, and then Jones is like, no, I should apologize because uh, that, you know, that was my fault. And he's like, no, I should have intervened faster. And this is on me. And I'm really sorry. Um, it was not OK. And then he is like, it's like, all right. And then he's like, well, you should probably get up out of bed because um, I brought a bunch of you know i brought a bunch of my family burgers and they're not gonna eat themselves and jones is like you brought burgers and he's like yeah consider it a peace offering and then he's like what's your name and he's like oh my name is frankie delfino and i'm the lead investigator blah blah blah. so he's like yeah okay 1988 okay 
half a dozen burgers later, <laughs> my boy is able to pull himself out of bed. He goes to work. He and Frankie are partners. Okay. They're partners in the gangs unit at the PD. And they're taking down like crime families left and right. Like they can't, they're, they're unstoppable. They're taking out these families, um, except for one family, the McDonald boys. They don't know, they're not even Irish or Scottish. Like they're Italian folks. Like I don't know why they're called the McDonald's, but they got the name off, to, off of like the old McDonald had a farm nursery rhyme because they, uh, they work in livestock trafficking. Okay. So, and they've opened a chain of fast food restaurants as like a cover for their crime activity. Okay. So Frankie is just like, so butthurt about this. He's like, it's not right. My family came to America, with nothing but $5 and a hamburger recipe. And these assholes are just hiding behind their subpar burgers for what money power. He's like, I don't know. This whole thing stinks. I don't know what's going on. And Jones is like, what's going on? Like, why are you so upset about this? And he just, and then Frankie's like, this whole thing just gets me so robbled up. And he's like, look, he's like, we can, we, we're going to get, we're going to get through this. And then Frankie's like, no, something has to be done. Like something needs to be done. We have to shut this down. Um, but like every time a new burger joint pops up, they mysteriously get shut down or disappear or taken over by the McDonald's boys. Like we, you can't even get a good burger in the entire Bay area. Right. Like we deserve something better. Mm-hmm. Um, and, oh, I also forgot to mention when Lucas was, like, heckling Jones, he called him Wimpy, and that's where the nickname came from, because, like, Popeye, mm. right? Right. Okay, so Wimpy's his nickname. Okay. So, um, he's like, he's like, look, Frankie, he's like, this isn't about us. This is about the law and, like, what's right. He's like, I don't buy their burgers. Like, why would I need to when you make the ones that I like? And Frankie's like, don't you see? This is about justice. He's like, and I might not be around forever, okay? And he's like, what do you mean, Frankie? He's like, are you leaving the department? And he's like, no, no, nothing like that. He's like, uh, he's like, just the whole thing really like gets me riled up. And he's like, you know what? We got to get that recipe. And Jones is like, what recipe? And Frankie's like, well, the, the burger recipe. We got to get it. If we can get it, we can prove that they're using tainted meat. He's like, it would at least be something. It would be some kind of evidence. And Jones is like, well, what do you mean? Like, you they're not just keeping a paper copy of the recipe in their kitchen. And Frankie's like, actually they are. And I've seen it. And he's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, I've actually been moonlighting at one of their restaurants. And, um, I I've seen that there's a piece of paper. I don't know what's on it, but I, I know it's the recipe. I have to get my hands on it. And so of course Jones is like, okay, what you're doing is super illegal, right? You can't like, work under an assumed name like rosemary chandelier obviously um <laughs> and and you know uh, obtain evidence like this that's illegal it will ruin your career and he's like i'm just sniffing around i'm just trying to get some insight like i'm just trying to get some recon here like just some information and he's like um he's like but you know what frank he's like what would i do like what would i do without you and then frankie's like eat less burgers <laughs> Um, because they're he likes hamburgers, right? <laughs> um, so he's like, okay, he's like, what's your strategy here? Like, what what are you gonna do? And he's like, look, he's like, they've been shipping in their meat from some warehouse outside of town. He's like, I have a feeling that I can get some real answers out there, so I volunteered to go help and look. 
And then Jones is like, that's a really bad idea. And he's like, maybe, but that's why I need you to tail us when this goes down. And he's like, oh, okay. So then um, they've like ironed out the details and they're over at Frankie's house eating hamburgers in the backyard, right? At the picnic table. And Frankie's just like, hey, any hot dates coming up? Ha ha ha. And then Jones is, Jones like has been open about his sexuality to Frankie, but he hasn't really like gone on a lot of dates because he's really committed to like his his work and also his friendship with frankie right and he's like you know what? i don't have time with that you know i i don't have time to go do those things like I, I love my work and i love hanging out with you and like this is just this is where my heart is right now and then frankie just kind of says you know you deserve love and companionship though and he's like oh and you know haha who doesn't love a good romp am i right like teasing him and then jones is like what's the sudden interest in my love life frank and he's like it's and then Jones is like, you know, it's not like you're hit with the ladies or anything. And and Frankie is like, you just deserve love, okay? And he's like, yeah, okay. And he's like, but you deserve to be loved by others as much as I love you, he whispers. And he's like, sorry, what did you say? Uh, but he had like a big hunk of burger in his mouth. So it came out, <laughs> I was like, what, what did you say? And he's like, nothing, forget it. And then he's, and then Jones is like, did you just say that you loved me? And then Frankie's like, yeah i guess yeah i do and then so jones follows his food and he's like i love you too and he's like you do and he's like i think i always have and he's like i loved you since that day at the barbecue why didn't you tell me sooner oh wimpy i wasn't sure you even tracked it to men at first and you know how difficult it is for us people like us in the 1980s even though we are in san francisco right because that that it's difficult right mm -hmm. and so then he's like I get it. And he's like, you know what? And I was scared. I was scared to out myself and I was scared to bring what we have. But now with everything that's about to go down and then Jones is like, wait, what do you mean? Like what's going down? It's just a stakeout. And he's like, uh, no. But then he's like looking over at Frankie and he's got his red hair and his handlebar mustache. And he's like, just staring at him like, Oh my God, I fucking love this man. And then Frankie's like, Oh, you got a little something next to your mouth. And it was ketchup. And he's like, oh, yeah, of course it was fucking ketchup. But then they start making out. And it's awesome. So they get on top of the picnic table and they're fucking making out and shit. And then they're like, let's move indoors. And then I wrote three pages of them fucking. Oh, damn. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Um, and then when they finish, they're like, I love you. I love you, too. And it's beautiful. Okay. So fast forward. Day of the stakeout has arrived. And he's like, okay, let's go over the details one more time. And he's like, he's like, we've been over it a hundred times. It's going to be fine. And then Jones is like, I just, something's, something's feeling fucky. Like something's wrong. I, I, were we missing something? And he's like, no, 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 this is fine. They're just taking me to their warehouse. And they'll never suspect that Greg Grieger is anything but a middle-aged fast food keener gunning for a management role. And, uh, Cause that's his, that's his <laughs> undercover name is Greg Grieger. And so Jones just feels like really unsettled, but he's like, obviously I'm going to go along with this. So here's the plan. Okay. The plan is Frankie is Greg. We get picked up at the restaurant and drive to the delivery truck with Brian Grimace Maloney. That's the manager. He's the head cook. Okay. So they go to the warehouse location. Jones is going to follow them in an unmarked vehicle. Once at the warehouse, Jones would park the vehicle at a safe distance and keep an eye on the truck. 
Meanwhile, Frankie would help load the shipment of whatever it is they're collecting and try to gather some intel from the warehouse and casually ask innocent questions as they work. Okay, So to Frankie, it's low stakes, uh, but maybe a huge reward. So they get there and they are like, okay. And then uh, Frankie's like, look, this is this has actually been like the most meaningful thing that's ever happened to me. Like, I'm really grateful to know you. Thank you for sharing yourself with me. And Jones is like, almost feels like you're saying goodbye, Frankie. And Frankie just smiles and he's like, I love you. And then Jones is like, okay, I love you too. But he's like, I'm not going to let Frankie down. So trailing goes by without a hitch. Okay. One second. I need to holler at the dog. We'll just record over this one second. <laughs> Pepperoni is a homophobe. Sorry. Whoa. Yeah, I'm saying Thought it. Thought you raised him better than that. I try, but they are ungrateful of my love. So the trailing goes by fine. They park the truck. They're like unloading shit into this warehouse. But Jones is a little surprised because it also looks like it's a factory, not just a warehouse. Because there's like smokestacks coming out of it and they're on. Like the smoke's coming out of them. So he's like, that's really weird. So he's watching them and then um, he notices that Frankie gets called into the building. He supposes to like help with something else. But 15 minutes goes by and then Jones is like, I got I got to see what's going on. So he goes over to the building and he goes into like the loading bay and he's there's nobody there so he's like i gotta i gotta find my partner so he starts to walk through the building and he finds a door with like a glass window in it so he goes and he looks but then he notices the smell this like terrible stench and he can kind of like taste it on his tongue the smell you know Ugh, he does. he's like oh what the fuck is going on and so he looks through the window and through it is a factory floor And he sees like these giant vats with like these giant kind of like spoons, kind of like a Cuisinart, kind of mixing the stuff in the in the containers. Right. And he's scanning the room and then he sees Frankie and he's being held back by Brian Grimace Maloney. Right. The the cook. But then also this other character that kind of looks like a bird who we learn later. His name is Birdie (laughs) Um, because McDonald's. Um, so he notices that Frankie has like a black eye, it's all swollen shut, and his lip is bleeding and he's hurt. And then Jones is finally able to hear and he kind of over the machinery and he hears like a, well, 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 Frankie DeFino as I live and breathe. And he's like, who the fuck is that? And so this guy has like a voice that's kind of got a Southern quality to it, but it's also kind of goofy. And so he's trying to see like, what the fuck, who's talking? And then this tall man with a bright red toupee, all clad in like yellow with red and white stripes comes into view. And I thought this was fine. I was proud of myself. I wrote this thought that Jones had where he's like, I don't know who that is or what they're doing here, but there is certainly one crime in progress, a crime of fashion because <laughs> didn't like what he was wearing. Yes, queen. Um, so Frankie says, Ronnie, I should have known. And Ronnie's like, surprised. Like, I'll admit, I was surprised when I learned that you were working for me under an assumed name. And then uh, he's like, and so then uh, Frankie's like, we're on to you, McDonald. He's like, I knew something was fucky. The moment your rat trap restaurant started popping up all over town. And Ronnie's like, that's pretty rude. He's like, I assure you, we only serve the finest food in all of our restaurants and they're all up to code. Just ask the health inspector yourself, he says. And he like motions to one of the vats. And then Frankie's like, wait a minute, you mean? And then he's like, 
yes. He's like, the health inspector loved the food so much. He wanted a piece of it. And he's like, well, he actually wanted to be a piece of it. So he's like, what do you mean? He's like, I th- he's, he says, he's like, a chef never tells. But yes, I had him thrown into a vat and turned into a hamburger. And they're <laughs> like, oh, no. And so Frankie's like, you're never going to get away with this. And Ronnie's like, oh, I, I already have. And then he's like, grimace, birdie, prepare the good detective. And um, so then he's like, you know, if you think the other members of the San Francisco PD are just going to sleep on this. And then Ronnie's like, hey, you know what? Me and the commissioner are old friends. And I fleece all the pockets in this town. So I'm good. And he's like, oh, no. So then Jones is like freaking out. He's like, what do I do? What do I do? And so he is like trying to look for something to like bust through the door and save his partner. But as he looks through the window again, he catches Frankie's eyes and Frankie is like looking really sad. And he just mouths the words like, I'm sorry. And then Jones is about to bust in. But then Frankie yells, run. And that's like what haunts his dreams for the next 20 years. So, 10 years later, it's been 10 years since Frankie was thrown into a vat and turned into meat, okay? So, Jones is like, he he left gangs. He left the gangs department. He doesn't want to do it anymore. But uh, but he got put on the beat, and he actually loves it because he feels like he can actually make, like, real change, right? He can, like, help people on a, on a base level. Basically, he's doing social work. Let's be real. Um, so... Times have changed, like 10 years have gone by. There's like a new police captain and her name is uh, Margaret and Margaret, aka Maggie, is like a cool dude, right? She's a cool dude. And she calls Jones in one day and she's like, hey, you were in gangs once. And Jones is like, yeah, you know, I was. And she's like, you were able to take down multiple crime syndicates in your time in the department. But like, why weren't you able to take down the McDonald boys? And uh, he's like, that's ancient history. I just couldn't cut it. And she's like, hmm, okay. Even though she kind of knows he, like, his partner disappeared, like, officially he just disappeared. It's not like they they, they don't know he was murdered in a vat of hamburger. Um, but he's, like, because she's sensitive, she's never put him with another partner, right? So he's like a lone wolf at this point. So um, she's like, well, I think you were on the right track with the McDonald boys um she's like look something is fucky ronnie is a clown like a literal clown right um she's like it makes no sense how he could have been this active and operating a crime ring this publicly for all these years and jones just says over 88 billion served (laughs) and she's like that's how he does it the food is subpar but people keep buying it's an empire and it brings in billions it fleeces a lot of pockets and so maggie's like putting you back on the case and Jones didn't want to go back. He didn't want to go back, but he's like, okay, he's like, I guess I got to do it. So the reason is that there have been fires all over the city. Somebody has been setting fire to the McDonald's restaurants. Mm. There's an arsonist. And he's like, I don't handle arson. I handle gangs. And she's like, I think this is related. It's only McDonald's restaurants. And he's like, fine, I'll go see what's up. So he goes, he figures out like the pattern, right, of where these things are happening so he does the stakeout and he's uh, on one of the nights that he's doing the stakeout at where he suspects is the next hit he sees like the shadow run into the building and he's like oh that's really weird um so he decides to follow it and he kind of like creeps in um and he he gets to the kitchen and he hears somebody kind of like humming to himself and like going like rubble rubble because that's the sound the hamburger makes right so he's pouring like 
gasoline all over the appliances in the kitchen. And then he just lights a match. And when he lights the match, he lights himself up and Jones can see that it's like this man and kind of like a bolero hat and a black and white jumpsuit and a face mask and like a cape, which he's kind of like, that's weird that he's in a cape, but okay. Um, so then the, the kitchen lights on fire and this man runs out the back door. And so Jones pursues him, but the door is locked. He can't get out and the kitchen's on fire. And he's like, oh, fuck, what do I do? So he runs to like the like the uh, dining room area and all the all the walls are windows, right? Like a typical McDonald's. So he's like, I'll just bust out a window. Well, all the chairs and tables are bolted to the ground, Julie. What's he going to do? So he he finds a high chair and he hucks it out of the window. Nothing happens. So he, start, he takes out his gun and he shoots it till it's empty, but the windows don't shatter. And he's like, fuck. Okay. So he lies down on the ground and he's like, what a way to go. But then he hears a screeching and a car busts through the window and he gets dragged out of the McDonald's. Um, and then before he passes out, he sees like a shadow in a cape disappearing into the night. And he's like, oh, that's weird. So then he's debriefing with um, his boss and he's like, she's like, it's so weird that like that happened and like you didn't catch him. And he's like, yeah, well, I almost died. So haha. So he gets home and on his doorstep is a box and a note. So he takes it in and the note says like, sorry, you almost died. Consider this a peace <laughs> offering. Yours H. And he opens the box and what's in it? A hamburger. Well, he has not touched a hamburger since he saw his partner get turned into a hamburger. And so he's livid. He's just like, oh, my God, this is this is the fucking worst. And he's like, not only was this arsonist fucking with him, he knew where he lived. And he's like, this is a problem. But so he hucks the burger into the garbage can. Now, he's not a stupid detective. So, of course, he takes it out. Right. And he brings it in for evidence to get tested in the lab. OK, so um, he decides he's going to try and like narrow down um where he might hit next and he he goes out and he finds out you know finds a building and then um he sees somebody like run into the building and he's like okay i'm not gonna run in this time but maybe he has the same mo maybe he'll run out the back and so he's like okay so he waits with his gun drawn and then sure enough he starts to smell smoke and this man runs outside and he's like hey you gotta freeze and he's like freeze you're under arrest for arson but this guy's just kind of smiling at him and he's like about time you found me and then uh he starts to read him his rights and he's like you should probably step away from the building and then an explosion happens inside the building and jones shoots his gun and it hits the hat off the, the this guy's head but what would you know julie his hair is bright red what could it mean so his hat's up in the air and then it comes down and he catches it and he's like you were never a good shot and then he disappears what happened so maggie's like oh what do you mean you got away and he's like he's like well i shot the head the hat off his head and he's like well did you get a good look at him and he's like yeah his hair is red and he's kind of like starting to piece it together right so um he's like trying to figure it all out he's really pissed because he's like this is arson like i shouldn't have to deal with this but then ronnie mcdonald shows up and he's like threatening him to be like why haven't you figured out who's better down by restaurants <laughs> and he's like um he's like this is this is from like 10 like, he's like you know just leave me alone you know i can't discuss the the case with you and then he's like i see and he's like well it was a pity what happened to your partner and he's like what do you know about my partner and he's like well he disappeared 10 years ago didn't he so obviously he knows all about it right so Later that day, Jones comes home and he has another letter and it says, they're on to you. We need to talk. Come alone. 
yours hamburg hamburglar and he's like the fuck is this he's like he didn't even say where he wanted to meet so he just decides he's gonna go guess where he is um based on like his map or whatever and uh he makes it to the restaurant and he goes to the back door and it's open it's like propped open and he peeks inside and he can hear somebody singing macho man by the village people and sure enough julie it's fucking hamburglar and he's there cooking hamburgers and then he's like oh i'm so happy you made it like have a siege and he's like okay what is this about and he's like okay listen first we eat uh, then we talk um and then he starts like checking out the hamburglar while he's grilling and he's just like oh he's fucking hot this guy but he still has his mask on um so that's where i stopped writing that took me all day but what i can tell you is this julie is that he's gonna feed him a hamburger and then jones is gonna be like i haven't eaten a hamburger since that day 10 years ago he'd be like oh what happened that day and he's like my partner he died and then he's gonna be like i don't know why i'm telling him all this he's like here just eat it and he's gonna eat it and, and it's gonna taste exactly like the hamburgers that frankie used to make and he's gonna get all verklempt and stuff he's gonna find out that frankie is the hamburglar and he's actually been very obvious in all his arsons because he wanted jones to pick up on it right and he's actually got a bigger picture and it's that they're going to expose ronnie mcdonald because ronnie mcdonald is putting people in the meat that's Whoa! right Soylent green is people just kidding it's hamburgers ha mcdonald's hamburgers are people um so they're going to expose that and it turns out that um our boy frankie actually faked his death with the help of grimace maloney because um ronnie took his arms which is uh, that's that's grimace lore i don't know if you want to go on that deep dive grimace <laughs> used to have four arms and now he only has two in the real mcdonald's world um, so we're going to talk about that. Anyway, they're going to fuck some more. There's going to be more um, Hamburglar jokes. And uh, that's that's my story. Wow. That's, that's all I got so far. There's going to be more. Obviously, there's going to be more. Um, but that's what I wrote today here on Ravage Love. Thank you. Wowzers. Well done. Are you going to... Are you going to read us a little little dialogue, more dialogue or Yeah, I don't know. Do you want I was going to read the part where um where they they're doing this they're doing the like infiltrating at the factory. Um uh, but I could also read like some of the sex scene. It's just it's a lot and it's a lot of dick sucking. Oh, so, I'm surprised I mean, you put so much dick sucking as someone who does I mean, not like dick sucking. They're gay men, Julie. I mean, that is true. And one of them has never slept with a man. So he's a virgin in, oh. in that respect. So they had to, like, talk through it. Familiar right? territory. I mean, you read us whatever you want to read us, buddy. Okay. All right. I'm going to read you the, I'm going to read you the um, factory scene. It's my favorite. Okay. I love so far, anyway. <laughs> All right. Here we go. The tailing went off without a hitch. Frankie, as Greg, drove in the delivery truck with Brian Grimace Maloney to the location. Jones, parking at an inconspicuous spot away from the building, was surprised to find that the building was less a warehouse and more of a factory. For one thing, it had smokestacks that were pumping smoke into the sky. He observed as Frankie and Grimace collected boxes from the loading bay into the truck. Nothing seemed off until Frankie, as Greg, was called further into the building. Jones suspected to grab more boxes. When Frankie didn't re-emerge for about 15 minutes, Jones got nervous and decided to act. He got out of his vehicle and cautiously crept over to the building. 
He approached the loading bay doors and listened for voices. When he looked inside, he was startled to see that no one was there. The bay was empty. He carefully crept into the building when he came upon a window door. He snuck a look through the window and saw that the room beyond it was the factory floor. Uh, it wasn't at this time. Uh, it was at this time that he noticed the smell, pungent and everywhere. He could taste the oily reek on his tongue. He stifled the urge to retch. On the factory floor, he saw giant vats with giant mechanisms reaching into the top and moving around, stirring whatever was inside the containers. As he scanned the room, he saw his partner, Frankie as Greg, with his arms behind his back, being held by Brian Grimace Maloney and another wiry character who resembled a bird. Jones observed that Frankie had a black eye and a bleeding lip. He was hurt. Jones strained to listen when finally he heard a voice rise over the sound of the machinery. Well, 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 Frankie Delfino, as I live and breathe, said the voice. Jones couldn't see where it was coming from, uh, but it had uh, put on southern quality to it, while also sounding goofy. Jones, has struggled, uh, Jones struggled to see who the voice belonged to when a tall man with a bright red toupee clad in yellow with red and white stripes came into view. I don't know what that is. Uh, I don't know who that is or what they're doing here, but there's certainly one crime in progress, a crime of fashion, Jones thought to himself. Ronnie, Frankie said, I should have known. Surprised, Ronnie said, I'll admit, I was I was when I learned that you were working under an assumed name. Greg Grieger, that was the best you could come up with? Shameful, Ronnie chuckled. We're on to you, McDonald. I knew something was fucky the moment your rat trap restaurant started popping up all over town, Frankie responded. How rude, Ronnie smiled. I assume, uh, I assure you we serve only the finest food and all of our restaurants are up to code, detective. Ask the health inspector yourself, he said, motioning to one of the vats. Jones could see Frankie start to sweat as he regarded the vat. You mean, he stammered, why yes, health inspector Chalmers loved the food so much why he wanted to be a pe- or he wanted a piece of it, of course, Ronnie chuckled. Well, he wanted to be a piece of it, I mean. Realization dawned on Jones. Oh dear God. You don't mean, Frankie trailed off. Ronnie chuckled. A chef never tells. But yes, yes, I had him thrown into a vat and turned into a burger. Frankie looked like he was going to vomit. Waste not, want not, Ronnie declared. You'll never get away with this, Frankie screamed as he fought against his captors. Oh, why, I already have, Ronnie replied sweetly. Grimace, birdie, prepare the good detective for a dip, won't you kindly? As the goons began to strip off Frankie's clothes, Jones began to panic. Surely they weren't going to throw him into a vat. As Frankie struggled, he declared, If you think the other members of the San Francisco PD are just going to sleep on this, Detective, please, Ronnie interrupted. The commissioner and I are old friends. I say jump. He says how high and we laugh, and he stays a rich man. No, no, I assure you, no one will miss you. Boys, take him away, he said, waving a limp hand at the goons. Jones knew he had to do something, but what? He searched around the area in panic, and when he returned his eyes to the window, Frankie had already been dragged up to the lip of the vat. It was then that Jones and Frankie's eyes met. Jones's eyes were wide, imploring. What do I do? They seemed to shout. Frankie shook his head. Eyes sad. He mouthed the words, I'm sorry, followed by a shout that would echo through Jones's dream, dreams for the next 20 years. Run! Well, that's my chapter where he dies and gets turned into a hamburger, but not really! <laughs> <laughs> That's what I did today. That was Hamburger by Butlow. Uh, Hamburger, my butthole. By Rosemary <laughs> Chandelier. Thank you. <laughs> I say we ended there. I mean, there's absolutely no way I can follow that up. Won't even try. No. I wanted to hear what you're going to read. Really? I mean, yes, you didn't write it, Julie, but surely to <laughs> God it's better than that. 
I can, but mine's sappy. Mm-hmm. Do we want to end with some sap? Of course I do. Okay. So, um... A part in the book that I did not mention in my summary, but there's a part where they have a wonderful first fuck and they're kind of lying there in that post bliss and an old friend barges in a friend that Kit thought was dead. So it's a whole thing. Um, And the friend's name is Rob and Rob's kind of like, huh, at what he's looking at. And Kit makes some sort of nonchalant comment like, oh, oh, him. Oh, he's nobody. This is nothing, which obviously hurts Percy's feelings. (laughs) So Percy then kind of gets his clothes and storms off. So this is them meeting up later on, um, you know, and Kit's feeling bad for what he said. And Percy's like, wow, I thought I meant something to this guy. And he just like, oh, yeah, you know, this is nothing. <clears throat> oh my god, I'm gonna do the accent. I'm gonna do the British accent. Please watch your step, called Percy, breathless and pulling up on in the reins. I'm afraid I don't have the patience for bloodshed this morning. Then he must have recognized Kit because his face closed off entirely. So, sorry. Percy is like galloping along on his horse, doing his little rounds that he does, and Kit knows where he goes. So, Kit kind of like goes to kind of front him, confront him. Um, because Percy's been avoiding him and he's like, I know it's because I hurt his feelings. And so Percy sees somebody approaching, but doesn't realize it's Kit. So he's like, please watch your step. I'm afraid I don't have the patience for bloodshed this morning. Then he must have recognized Kit because his face closed off entirely. I came to beg your forgiveness, Kit said immediately. For what? Percy asked after hesitating for only the space of a single breath. For saying you were nobody. For saying you didn't matter. Are you apologizing for hurting my feelings with an unpleasant truth or for lying? Peter asked. Percy asked, sorry. For hurting your feelings with a lie, Kit said. That must have been satisfactory because Percy dismounted and came to stand face to face with Kit. But why did you do it? I didn't want Rob to know that I was, that I'm fond of a person like you. And what kind of person am I exactly? A bloody rich one. Percy let out a startled, slightly bitter laugh. And that's what you thought when you saw your friend, who you had believed dead for the past year, who you thought was dead, but but is alive and well. You thought, well, better not let him think I'm overly friendly with this man that I'm rolling around with on the floor. Kit didn't know how to explain that Percy seemed to occupy the foremost portion of his brain, nor did he know exactly when that had started and when it happened. Yes, was all he said. And then, because Percy's eyes were searching his face, looking for something that Kit couldn't hope to hide. I don't know how to not think about you. I don't know how to stop. And I don't want to. He swallowed. He had felt like this once before, and the result had been him and Jenny standing before a priest as soon as the bands were called. He knew what it was, and he knew he wasn't foolish enough to say so out loud. I brought you something. He held out a parcel wrapped in brown paper. Something gratified flickered across Percy's face. Kit smiled because, of course, Percy was the sort of person to be delighted by presents. What is it? Oh, nothing much. Kit placed the parcel into Percy's outstretched hand, then washed his face as he opened it. It's cake, Percy said. 
Not as if he had expected a golden snuff box or something, but as if there was nothing in the world better than cake. He broke it into two pieces, giving one to Kit and popping the other into his mouth. Oh, it's very good. I thought you might like it. In fact, Kit, arriving at the bakery as soon as they unlocked their doors, had picked out the cake that seemed the most unnecessarily complicated. The baker's sleepy daughter had informed Kit that this case had orange peel, rose water, and a number of spices. It cost twice as much as the other similarly sized cake. Kit knew at once that it would be Percy's favorite. Where did you get it? A bakery. Which bakery? Percy asked, impatient. That's my secret. You'll just have to let me get you another cake sometime soon. If you haven't figured out by now that I'll let you buy me as many cakes as you please, and as often as you want, you're stupider than you look. That, from Percy, was as good as a declaration, and Kit drew in a breath. Me too, he said. Percy turned away and smoothed his horse's mane. If my mother knew I was acting like this, she'd roll over in her grave, he said, avoiding Kit's eye. What about this situation would bother your mum? Is it that I'm a man, or that we're about to rob your father? No shortage of causes for worry. Percy snorted out a very ungentlemanlike laugh, and Kit bumped their shoulders together. And then, because the fog was thick and Percy's face was bleak, Kit tucked a loose strand of hair behind Percy's ear. Percy shuddered, as if the contact were too much for him, but he didn't step away. One of her earliest lessons was never to act like one needed the approval, company, or affection of any earthly being, Percy said. Kit hadn't been expecting that. But everybody needs those things, he says. Yes, but one isn't supposed to let on. That's what's dangerous, and she was right, you know. With anyone else, Kit might have argued that not only was it not dangerous, but it was the only way to live. But if he could see that Percy believed it as a basic tenet of his existence, and so... But I... But, but you like danger! Percy laughed. No, I do not. You are badly misinformed. What would you call sword fighting, then? And don't tell me you're too talented to get injured because I've dressed your wounds. Wound singular, Percy corrected him. And what would you call carrying on with men, if not dangerous? It's hardly my fault that the laws are what they are. You can't expect me to be celibate. And associating with hardened criminals like me? What hardened criminals do I... Oh, I suppose you're referring to yourself? Yes, Kit said, laughing. Had you forgotten? Hardened criminals sounds like someone who goes around frightening old ladies, when really you're just... A darling. I frightened scores of old ladies, Kit protested. No, you didn't. You charmed them. I've heard the ballad, you remember? Kit frowned. Maybe they were charmed after the fact, but I think a lot of those stories are from people who were only relieved that they got away with their lives. I promise they were frightened when their carriages stopped. I saw their faces. That's something I do not miss. Percy looked carefully at him. It's a pity you can't arrange for the carriage of villains to be empty of any innocence. Well, my father won't have anyone in the carriage with him other than his henchmen, and I'm hardly going to wring my hands about frightening them. As I said, you don't really seem to have any problems with danger. Kit took the remnants of cake from Percy's hand, broke off a piece, and held it up to Percy's lips. I'd even say you seek it out, so you ought to be perfectly fine letting on that you need me. 
Percy stared at him, and for a minute, Kit thought he would protest. But instead, he leaned forward and ate the cake from Kit's fingers. Oh, beautiful. Love is beautiful. I love it. I gave you four, at least four different accents in doing that. (laughs) It was... Like, like it was like a, gl- a gl- world tour. <laughs> Loved it, Mr. Worldwide. <laughs> <laughs> Just call me the pit bull of the romance world. Um, I do every day. <laughs> Again, the queer principles of Kit Webb. Get it? I would tell you to get your Hamburglar story, but are you going to publish this thing for people to read it? Like, what's going on here? I don't know. If I finish it, I don't know. You absolutely should. And um, listeners, if you are listening to this episode right now, I want you to go to the Instagram post about this particular episode. And I want you to comment that you would buy a copy. And if you do, then Renee will be motivated to finish the story. Oh, no, I was motivated to write it because I had nothing else and I didn't want to let you down. (laughs) (laughs) But now it's done. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I love it. Um, <laughs> I love it. Also, Julie, I would, I would never. Rosemary would never put this on the internet for money. She's, oh, she's Ram- doing the Lord's work. You see. Sh- Ms. Chandelier is giving it away for free. We like that. We like a socialist. <laughs> if, it, if it gets finished, <laughs> she's just putting. It, she's forcing it into the hands of people. It's you know they're they're not going to want it. She's like, please take it. Take my story. <laughs> Well, I will <laughs> let folks know that our next theme is the gay agenda. And who knows? Now I don't know. Now I know that anything's possible. Renee could write a story if she doesn't find one. So I love to keep y'all in suspense because I too am in suspense. I don't know what next week will bring us, but I do know it's going to bring us the gay agenda. <laughs> yeah, I need you to lower your bar for me a little oh, bit. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't have this kind of time. Who has this kind of time? That's a great point. Um, (laughs) Yay, agenda. (laughs) Well, we'll see where it takes us. As always, forever grateful to our listeners for going on this zany, wacky ride with us. Um, And uh, as always, love chatting with you, Renee. And I, you, Julie Lalonde, will you sing us out? I shall. <clears throat> Ravage love Ravage love Bye Bye Artwork for the show is created by Karen McKnight Very special thanks to Josh Shenfield for production assistance You can find Josh on Instagram at Fushigiyami That's F-U-S-H-I-G-I-Y-A-M-I on Instagram Connect with us at Ravage Love on Instagram and Twitter or by email at ravagelove.podcast at gmail.com. Ravage Love.